Week seven, you've got new clothes. Some of you may be thinking that's an odd title, but I think it's going to make sense by the time we get into it. It's 6.50. We'll be done in 20 minutes. Finally, y'all, y'all awake now. Well, last week in Ephesians 4, I talked about embracing glory, that you were made for glory, glory being the weight of representing all that God is. That is our call, to represent God on the earth so that when people look at us, or maybe we should say when we look at things like sickness, storms, enemies, all of it gets wrapped up when it puts its, when those things see us, they get wrapped up in all that God is and therefore submits to God. That we get so in sync with God that when we walk into a room, the atmosphere shifts because God walked into the room. That when we speak to sickness, it obeys because it doesn't hear Kyle, it hears the word. Right? That we bear the weight of glory in the earth, on earth as it is in heaven. And toward the end of Ephesians chapter 4, we find that Christ gave gifts to the church for the purpose of glorifying him and keeping everything united. Not creating unity, because God did that. God got us unified, and he says, now I'm going to give you gifts so that you can keep unified what I have brought together. And the reason why I wanted to bring that back up tonight is because when you see a lack of unity in the church, I believe that there is a deficit in the church operating its full capacity. A church cannot operate in its full capacity if unity is not among us. It's impossible. The church is to keep unified in all that he has done, and he has given us gifts not to prove ourselves to anyone, but to keep unified in all that he is, to keep unified in what he's done, and to walk into what we're created to walk into. We have that honor to keep what is done, what he has done. Now, I want to, before I get into the scripture, I want to talk about something that maybe not everyone knows in this vein of keeping unified. God has called us to be, the, the Bible says, kings and priests. Y'all have heard that, I'm sure. Something interesting about the word priest is that in the context of going back to the original language, it's actually the same word used as the, the term that we have understood to be intercessor. You as a priest are an intercessor. Some may disagree, I don't care. But intercession is not a gift. It's an identity that you are all to bear. Well, I don't have that gift. No, you just don't walk into the passion of who you truly are. What is intercession? Intercession is not coming together to pray over prayer requests. But that's what the church has been taught. Is there a time to pray over prayer requests? Yeah. But what intercession is, if I can break it down in a phrase, it's simply this. We are 
the mediators between heaven and earth. The reason we are put in that role is because our identity is in the one who mediated. If you don't know his name, his name is Jesus. We are called to see a thing and identify that there is a disconnect between what heaven says and what we see in our earthly reality. And when we see a disconnect between what we see on the earth versus what heaven declares, we are to pray on behalf to say, God, what would, you, what would your will be done in this situation? That's intercession. In other words, when the church sees that we are number two to everything in the world, that's not what God wants. We were never meant to be number two. We were never meant to be the one struggling. That happened when Rome gave all the power to the Catholic Church and they messed everything up. Because before all that happened, the, 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 the church was in a great place. Acts says that there was no need among them. But I don't know if you've noticed, but the modern church, there is need among everyone. That is not what God wants. God does not want the earth to be in chaos. God does not want uh, the, the government of America. The God does not want the government of any place in the world to represent anything other than him. And instead of complaining about the issue, we are called to intercede on what God wants for heaven to come into earth in that place. That's intercession. We are interceding on behalf of the issue. God, this is what we see, and we intercede. God, this is what's going on. We intercede. And he gives us the strategy and breakthrough. Can I just say this? Our warfare is not what you've been taught in church. The military of the kingdom is not people. It's angels. Our warfare is to walk in what we are called to walk in despite what we've grown up as. That's why we have different weapons of warfare. Because angels are fighting on our behalf and we are called to do something totally different. Our warfare is to walk in who we are. Our warfare is to say, I am not going to let what these circumstances define me as uh, hinder me from walking in my calling. D different things. We are to walk as citizens. They are doing business on our behalf so that we can do business on God's behalf. Am I losing y'all? Y'all getting this? That is what's going on. There's a war going on in the heavenly realm that we cannot see, so that we can walk in what many of us are not seeing. I don't know if y'all are receiving this, or if I got. I'm getting a lot of blank stares. Awesome. We have got to understand that most of our warfare is in our mind. And I would say that 99% of it starts and ends with understanding who you are in Christ and not embracing who you are in the world. We are called to walk in a certain way, conduct ourselves in a certain way, looking like Christ, so, so he says, embrace that glory, not your shortcomings. So that your shortcomings 
and your lack of godly desire submits to God, which results in a changed heart and a changed mind. That is what transformation is all about. And, and Paul has been talking about this the entirety of chapter 4. And then he actually continues in this starting in verse 17, which is where we're beginning tonight. Ephesians 4, 17. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against them. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. You see, Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 has, Paul has been laying out all these privileges as children of God. Remember, there's spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He was revealing to us that, 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 that God has revealed his plan and all things are going to be brought under the authority of Christ. We've been shown that the, about the gift of life and we're seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Peace has been brought to us. Jew and Gentile have become one. Not Gentile becoming Jew or Jew becoming Gentile, but God says, I'm going to make a new creation, a new people. Okay? We are how God displays his wisdom, it says, to all the unseen rulers and principalities. So up until now, he has been calling us to walk in the unity, understanding who we are. And now that we've identified the privileges and the call for unity, Paul says it's time to embrace a new way of living. I've shown you who you are. I've shown you the promises. I have laid out what Christ has done for you and what he's going to do for you now. Embrace a new way of living. He says, therefore, don't live like everyone else. And the church has a tendency to display to the world that we aren't really that different from them. We've embraced, and we've embraced that as a church strategy. The church has become let's get relevant to culture. I believe the church actually wants respect and approval from the world. So we do everything like the world, hoping it will attract people. But the fact is, this is not meant to attract people. This meeting called church is not meant to get people saved. This meeting is to equip you to go get them saved wherever you are. Because where we've missed it is, let's bring them to church to introduce them to Jesus. When half the people in church stop at getting to know Jesus and don't know how to walk into anything they're called to walk into. If you knew what you were called to walk into, the person at the office would get saved and come to church to grow in salvation. We have turned this into get all the lost people in. But Ephesians tells us what the church is meant is to equip those to go and do. And when we turn this meeting into bring everyone in to get saved, everyone else's growth is stunted. Unpopular teaching. And we'll say, well, that's not what the church is meant to do. Well, show me a church that's changing a city, and I'll tell you you're right. We all embrace old theologies and say this is the way, but if the way ain't worked and God's all-powerful, then something needs to change about the way because it ain't working. Yeah. 
We have wanted to become relevant to a worldly culture. We wanted to embrace this, this false idea of let's display to the world that we're different, but we haven't really done that different. And what's crazy is that Paul, in, in, the, in the verse 17, he calls Gentiles, the world, hopelessly confused. In some versions, it talks about futility of the mind. That word futility simply means this, incapable of producing anything useful. And the church has tried to become relevant to anything that's incapable of producing. What do you mean it's incapable of producing? Look at celebrities. They produce much, but they end up in anxiety, depression, and suicide because what they have produced hasn't produced a thing. Right? Paul says their thinking is not going to produce anything we need. That doesn't mean there won't be great ideas and achievements, but it brings to question, what is the foundation of these achievements? In Proverbs 9, 10, it says this. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. What good is your wisdom if the foundation is not in the fear of God? What good is your business if God is not glorified in its point and purpose? Everything starts with a foundation on the fear of God. Everything I do should be meant to glorify Him. The way I treat my customers, glorify Him. The way I run my staff, glorify Him. The way I handle my money, Glorify him. The way I talk to family I don't like, glorify him. The way I deal with people doing wrong to me, glorify. Everything should start with a foundation of how does God get glory in this. And Paul says, as children of God, we have a way to walk. Jesus redeemed us and he showed us the way. The way to life is not just that he paid for eternity. But he made your purpose accessible. A purpose that was locked up in heaven. And he says, all you've got to do to unlock it is walk like me. And he says, now that you've been redeemed, you can walk. No longer as the world, the Gentiles do, but as Christ does. And we see in verse 18 the problem as to why we never got this. He says, minds were full of darkness and hearts were hardened. Are y'all okay? Okay. Minds full of darkness and hearts were hardened. Because minds are dark and hearts are hardened, verse 19 says, people have embraced a way of life that have no sense of shame and they live for their own pleasure and they love to practice any type of impurity. That word heart hardening came from a Greek word that actually it refers to the callus formed when a bone has been fractured and reset. When a bone has been fractured and reset, a callus will form over the place and the callus is actually harder than the original bone. So what heart hardening is, it's when you get a heart wound, when you get hurt by someone or something, 
you embrace the hardening over the wound. And when you start to embrace the callous, because what we do is we get heartbroken, we get hurt, we got mom issues, dad issues, growing up issues, relationship issues, friend issues, whatever the issue is, your heart gets hardened because it has been healed in a callous type of way and we love to embrace the callous instead of what we're actually meant to be in the original design of God. So we embrace this hardening instead of submitting to who we really are. And because of that callous, the hardening, people will start to embrace impurity and lust and not even hide them, but embrace them. Do you realize what I'm describing? It's going on right now in the world. We have gotten to a place where we, we are not only embracing the callous, but we're glorifying the callous in the world. This is a generation that, I, I was looking at statistics the other day, oh, like it was, I think it was 70% of people grow up in a single parent home. 70. And I don't care how strong of a mom you are, or how strong of a dad you are, no child is ever meant to function 100% in a single parent home. You, moms, you're not designed for both roles. Dads, you're not designed for both roles. So what happens is, is children grow up in a model that is not how it's supposed to be. And they start to embrace false ideas. And what has gone on is they have identity issues. And instead of embracing who they are, they've been taught deal with the issue by embracing a callus of you get to identify however you want. What was the breaking point? They had a wrong home life. And what's the callus? I don't know who I am. I don't like being a man anymore, so I'm going to be a, wood, a, a woman. I don't want to be a woman anymore. I'm going to be a man. I don't want to be a man anymore. I'm going to be a woman. Oh, and I don't like that, so I'm going back to being a man who was a woman, who was a man. It's happening everywhere. And then the church is divided over everything. We, we have these, these breaks of theology and these breaks of, of difference in opinions. So we're starting to divide. And, and churches are saying that you know, if you're a Democrat, you're not saved. And if you're a Republican, you are. And we're getting all this stuff mixed up. And we're not really dealing with the issues. You know what the issue is? No one is submitted to God because if you are, you don't get to have an opinion. That's why he says, sacrifice all you are unto the Lord. I don't care what your opinion is. I want to be in line with what his opinion is, which is in line with this word. But what happens is we embrace the callous because something got broke at some point. And I think if we understand about the callous, we'll start to extend grace more when people are dealing with issues that they have embraced and they have no idea that it's actually an issue. Is this okay? Yeah. And what the church starts to do is look down on people who embrace calluses instead of showing them how to actually walk as God intended. 
if we would spend more energy walking into our identity versus judging them for their lack of, we would do a lot better at seeing their heart callous break down. Okay. It's, it's kind of like when, when Moses w- went up on the mountain and he came back down and he was glowing so much in the glory that the people were like, hey, turn away or put a bail on that thing. We can't look at you. We can't stand it. Jesus tore the veil. We need to be so wrapped up in identity, identity of the Father that when the world looks upon us, they cannot help but to be transformed by blinding light where there is no room for their darkness. Look at verse 20. This isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you've heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Paul says, throw off that hardened, calloused nature. Throw off what you used to do and be. Because what good is it to be free from prison if you still embrace your prison clothes? He doesn't say, eventually get rid of it. He says, you in Christ? You've seen Jesus? Throw it off. Well, why do I need to take off my old stuff? He says, you've learned what Jesus taught, and you've learned that Christ doesn't operate in the old man. I find it interesting in this passage that Paul talks of Christ and then Jesus. Y'all with me? First, I'm going to read it again. First, he says, that's not what you learn about Christ since you've heard about Jesus. I'm going to say that again. This isn't what you learned about Christ since you've heard about Jesus. Christ means the anointed. Jesus embraced his nature as God when his ministry began in Christ. Jesus walked the earth And he embraced his God-like nature the moment he started to walk in his anointing. There's There's more reason in the first miracle when they said, can you turn the water into wine? And Jesus says, it's not time yet. It wasn't so much about that miracle it, was, it wasn't time for him to start walking in what he was anointed to come do. He was Jesus, and then he started walking in his anointing. Are y'all getting this? Paul says, you've learned what the anointing does and how it works. When it's fully surrendered to God... 
and giving the Father glory in all things. So it isn't good enough that you've heard that you've got the head knowledge of Jesus by knowing all the truth. If you don't take off the old self so that your new anointed self starts to live. It's no good to know about Jesus if you don't put on the new clothes of Christ. Is this? That's why many who claim they believe in him don't look like him. Because they've got the knowledge of who Jesus was, but they have not embraced the Christ of Jesus. Everyone can tell you about B.C. and A.D., and everyone can tell you that a man named Jesus was crucified, and everyone can tell you that, oh, yeah, I know you're Jesus. He was born of a virgin. Everyone knows about Jesus. Not many know about Christ. And the church should start to look like Christ. The Bible says it's a form of godliness, but no power thereof. There's many churches that know all about Jesus, but know nothing about Christ. There's many Christians that know everything about Jesus, but don't know how to walk in what we're anointed to do. What are we anointed to do? Well, Christ spoke to storms and they ceased. Christ spoke to dead bodies and they came to life. Christ turned water into wine. And thank God Christians read the Bible. You can have all the knowledge of in the world about the Bible, but if you don't walk in Christ, you are not walking in complete image of God. Because what Jesus did was made Christ accessible to all who proclaim his name. It is not enough that you believe in Jesus. You have to understand that in Jesus, there is an anointing on you. Is this pushing? Okay. Paul teaches, don't embrace the old life, throw it away, and embrace Christ. Because you've learned about Jesus and what Jesus did, but he wanted to multiply Christ through the earth. That's why we are called the body of Christ. We are the body of the anointing that was on the man, Jesus. So the question is, what do we do with it? If we are the anointing that was on Jesus, what do we do with it? Well, look at verse 23. Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. It doesn't say become your new nature. It says put it on. Put on the new clothes. Put on the new nature. And the new nature is created to be like God and nothing less. So if God forgives, your new nature is you forgive. I, I, I was so encouraged today. It, it, it's on Facebook, so that means I can talk about it publicly. There's a couple in our church whose son got jumped at his job. His, one of his arms got broken, the other damaged. 
That's why they're not here tonight. Sweetest kid you'd ever meet. And I'm sure the first thought was, what's his name? What am I going to do to that kid that broke my son's arm, right? But you know what? I talked to them today. You know what their response was? We're trying to teach our kids how forgiveness is much more powerful. It encouraged me so much because I don't know about you, but in the flesh, I even said something. My first thing was, y'all want some help with some physical interaction? But if we are walking in a new nature, everything about the new nature looks like his. You don't get to act any way outside of I forgive. If God forgives you, if God loves, that's a part of your new nature. And God doesn't just love his children. He loves all. It's everyone else who gets to choose not to love him. You don't get to choose who you love and who you don't because of circumstances. That's your old clothes. He says, put on the new. If God forgives, you forgive. If God loves, you love. If if God looked away in a moment when Jesus was crucified, then we embrace turn the other cheek. And I will go so far to say, if God speaks and stuff obeys... That's part of your nature as well. It's understanding who you are in Christ. Who are you in the anointing that Jesus paid for you to have access to? You are anointed to speak to sickness. You are anointed to speak to relationships. You are anointed to look totally different than everything you were raised up in. Well, this is just how I was raised. Well, Jesus says you got reborn and now you're getting re-raised. So you don't embrace dead man clothing. You embrace a new nature type of clothing and you are clothed in righteousness just like he is. He says created to be like God. You are created to be righteous and holy and nothing less. So when someone says you are just a piece of crap, you say, I'm righteous. When someone looks at you and say you're not enough, you say, I'm perfect. I'm holy. And that's really hard to embrace because, well, that's just, it's not pride. It's I know who I am. And nothing is going to shift my identity in who he is. No man, no circumstance, no career. I am, you don't want to get real in it? When, 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 When Moses was talking with God and he said, who do I tell Pharaoh who you are? He says, tell him I am. You know who you are? I am. Because I am clothed in the identity of who he is. So if things have to submit to him and I am in him, seated with him and united with him in heavenly places... Why are you afraid of demons? Why are you afraid of bumps in the night? Because if you embrace who you are in your anointing, they'll start to fear you. (laughs) 
Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become, past tense, a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Your new life began when Christ made you new. The moment you accepted Jesus, you were baptized in a new identity. So Paul says, now walk in it. Your old man existed in Adam. Your new man exists in the second Adam, Jesus. You were created to be righteous and holy, good, excellent, dedicated to God's purpose and perfection. So anything not of that new nature, he says, take it off, throw it away. The way to react and respond can no longer be justifiable. That's just who I am because it's not who you are. If you are still wrapped up into this is just how I am, it's not who you are. You just refuse to be you. Because you still live like a Gentile when Christ says live in a new nature. And you can only embrace a new nature when you embrace the Christ-likeness of Jesus. Jesus, the anointed. You are the anointed. So we walk as anointed, not as dead. Okay, I'll keep going. Learning Christ is learning how to live in a new man that no longer fits in old clothes. Put on the new stuff. Exit the old. Look at verse 25. So, he, he starts telling you how to put off the old clothes. So, stop telling lies. You, you ever know, what, what, y'all know people that are called habitual he says, stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. Now, I'm going to stay here for a moment. Because a body can only function in its intended capacity if it tells itself the truth. Don't lie. But that also means don't set people up for failure. You know what the worst thing the church has done? Giving people false hope with false identities. You ever seen, I've been a part of worship teams in my life where they tell people they can sing. The Bible says don't lie. Y'all think, y'all laughing, but, but let, let, me, let me get in that for a minute. If they're believing they are meant to do something that they can't, you set them up to walk out of their purpose. Well, you're just trying to be excellent. No, I'm trying to see people come alive in what they were anointed to do. We cannot set people up for failure. Part of our identity in Christ, we are incomplete without each other. We are the body of Christ. We are of the same body. So we don't want to mislead anyone into wearing false clothes because them acting in a, in a false nature affects our nature. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. The church loves to preach lies. The church says things like, the gifts are not for today. That's a lie. Well, no, that's just opinion. No, it's a lie. The, 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 the church tells people things like, your healing depends on your faith. That's a lie. 
What that is is trying to make preachers feel better for not being successful in what they think of as a healing ministry. You name one story in the Bible where they had to have faith for Jesus to heal them. The people Jesus healed didn't even believe in them. Most of the time. Well, you just need to increase your faith. No, you need to walk more in your Christ. Because your voice should command the lie out of them so that they see the truth. <laughs> okay. I'm, let, me, let me read this. John eleven forty three 43 through 44. Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Let me just stop right there. Lazarus was dead. He didn't have faith. That's, that's, that's it. <laughs> Verse, Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out, 44. And the dead man came out. And the dead man, his hands and feet were bound in grave clothes. His face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. The church will only go as far as allowing each other to help take off old clothes so we can see what really fits. And you do no one a justice by lying to them because you are not stripping them of dead man clothing. We've got to be at a place of total unity in the church where we can address each other's weak places and not get offended and cry like a four-year-old. We should love each other enough for me to say to you, you are getting it wrong, and you not say God is leading me to find a new church. What you really just said was, I want to find a house that lies. Oh, I'm, there's so much offense going on. There's a great book, Beta Satan, John Bevere, read it. We got to get to a place where I can speak to you and you can speak to me. I find it funny how people get nervous of trying to show me something wrong with me. I know there's stuff wrong with me. Some of y'all are giving me more amens. And I expect for you to help strip off my dead clothing just as much I'm called to help strip off yours. Because it's not that I'm better than you. It's not that I'm a preacher and you, and you are less than me. It's this is a function in the body and you have a function in the body. And both of us functioning, no matter what the function is, is just as necessary for the body. Don't stop. It's stop lying. Verse 26. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Anybody get angry up in here? Let me, it's not sinful to be angry. Let, let's read it. Don't, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Anger gives a foothold to the devil. It doesn't say that the new man doesn't get angry. 
It says, when you walk in new man, don't let the anger control you. Because if new man looks like God, then nothing controls you. You control the thing. The question is, are you controlling emotions in new clothes or in old ones? Jesus got angry. Many scriptures about it. One example, most popular, he got angry at what they were doing to finally the temple. So he went in and, and he was you know, popping whips and throwing tables up. He got angry. But you know what the scripture says? In Proverbs 14, 29, Ecclesiastes 7, 9, it says, we shouldn't have an angry temper, but that anger should be slow. In other words, it should be your last emotion in the situation. And you don't let the anger control you, you control it. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That doesn't mean you've got to make it right before you go to bed. It means I'm not going to let anger Rob me of a peaceful night's rest. <laughs> I will not let... let, me, let me, <laughs> that was good. That, that was good. Okay. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, do not let anger control your peace. You tell anger where it can go. You do not let it control... I didn't have a good night's rest. Why didn't you have a good night's rest? I went to bed angry. You let something control you, therefore you responded in old clothing. You responded to the issue in old man. Don't let anything rob you of what God created for you. God created rest for you. Don't let anything rob you of that. Right? <laughs> Y'all, okay. Um, I hope... Why do I need to worry about getting anger taken care of before the sun goes down? Verse 27, anger gives Satan a foothold. And your new nature has no room for him to get footholds. What is a foothold? A place where someone can be supported securely so that they can make the next step. Don't give Satan an opportunity to start anything. How does he start something? He finds a foothold. He tries to get in somewhere so that he can use that as a stepping into your man. But in my new man, in my new nature, in my Christ-likeness, not only does he not get to have a foothold, but his whispers don't even get to penetrate my thoughts. Because I take the thought captive and put it under new man. This good? Okay. Verse 28. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Have, have y'all, can y'all tell that I'm taking these scriptures a little bit deeper than usual? There's something more to this. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work. And then give generously to others in need. Now, we love to point out, don't steal. But the issue is deeper than what you're thinking of stealing. It's, the issue is, what is your hand given to? Being lazy is stealing from your anointing. Because you aren't doing anything you were purposed for. Don't stealing is the same as don't be lazy. 
You were created to work six and rest one. That means you were created to put your hand to something of use to glorify God. Don't steal from your intended purpose. What are you doing with your hand? Don't rob yourself and do not rob the body of Christ what you're meant to put your hand to. And it's something that you're, you're meant to put your hand to now, not gradually walk in. There is something you're called to do. And if you're not doing it, you are stealing from the body. And you are stealing from your true identity. What are you doing with your hand? That's probably one of the most useful things I've ever said from this pulpit. Do, if you are a thief, quit stealing. Quit robbing yourself of what heaven wants to invade earth with through you. Quit robbing your family of what God wants to do in your family because you've given up on your family, you thief. I don't know what that is, but... Don't rob yourself. God says in Malachi that... That's Malachi. Don't steal by not giving tithe. Robbing is so much more than just you stole a candy bar from the gas station. You're robbing yourself a purpose. And you know what John 10.10 calls Satan? A thief. So stealing from your purpose by being lazy is coming into the alignment of an identity with Satan. Not true identity of new man. What do you mean? You, you're walking in the character of the one who's tried to steal glory from heaven. Because your new man does not look like thief. But Satan does. You see, fire and brimstone teaching is not just you go to hell if you don't believe. If you want to talk about what real fire is, it's you look like Satan when you don't look like the real you. Is that too much? Well, I can't make any friends. Well, what do you look like? Are you robbing yourself of relationships because you identify as, well, I'm an introvert, therefore I'm not created to make relationships? Introvert and relationships are not synonymous. You can be an introvert and have great relationships. See, I'm not saying introvert's bad. And if you heard that, shut up. I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm saying both have the same capacity to make relationships. Don't rob yourself with a false identity of who you are. Okay? You do it in different ways. Okay. You belong to God. Put on his robes. Verse 29. Don't use foul or abusive language. I, I may be tempted to use some after this message. I can, I can feel the text messages coming in. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Your new man knows how powerful 
his or her words are. And you've got to make sure that what comes out of your mouth only glorifies God. Now, I want to read a passage from James that talks about this, and I'm going to bring what, what I had some revelation of when I read this passage. James chapter 3, verses 2 through 8. It's talking about what comes out your mouth. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Can someone say amen? amen? For if we could control our tongues, notice, if we could control, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great force on fire. Among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. Has anyone experienced this? You say one thing that just sets the whole thing on fire. It can set your whole life on fire for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless, evil, full of deadly poison. Thanks, God. Now, here's what's interesting. What's very clear in this passage is no one can tame the tongue. But verse 29 just said, don't use abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Well, how am I supposed to do that if James tells me I can't tame the thing that does it? If you look in the translations, this is what it says. It says, no man can tame the tongue. Well, then what are we supposed to do if our new man needs to control it? No man can tame it, but Christ can. Your new nature is this your new nature is not of this world. Your new nature is not of your flesh. Your new nature is not of your man. Your new man is in Christ, not the flesh. So you walk in a new thing that no one else of the flesh can do. What is that? No one can tame the tongue unless Christ is in you. Where you are weak, he is strong. What is one of your greatest weaknesses? You cannot control your tongue. So get lost in a new nature that can. Y'all are so boring. This, like, when I read that, I jumped out my chair. And that's weird because there's not a lot of room between the desk and the chair. And it hurt because the knee hit the desk. And the chair spin, it was bad. It's a bad situation. That excites me. I can now do a thing that no one else can do in Christ. Well, I just, I just can't control my tongue. Well, you have forfeited new man. Verse 30. Has this been good tonight? I know it's practical, but it's, it's good. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, 
he has identified you as his own. Guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Do not bring sorrow. And other versions it says, do not grieve. Holy Spirit. If the Spirit exalts Jesus, then the way to not grieve Holy Spirit is to put on a new nature that looks like Jesus. Because we walk in Christ, which is the image of our Father. Do not say that you don't have the time to pray when Spirit sees all the other stuff you have time for. It grieves him. It distresses. You know, the same word for grieve is the same word for pains of childbirth in Genesis 3. When you tell God what you can't do when he sees what you can do, it pains him as in the pains of childbirth. Why does it pain him? Because he did not create you to be limited. He created a version of you that he let his son die for to get it back. And it pains him when we deny the thing that Jesus purchased. I will go so far as to say this. Jesus did not die just so that you could get saved. Salvation is a benefit for what he really did. Jesus died to break open the heaven for your new man to finally be put back on earth. And new man is saved. Because new man existed in eternity. That's, that is the you that God knew before you were in your mother's womb. And for anyone that might have, maybe you need some truth. The issue with everything going on in the world is they don't understand that they existed before flesh came in. Now let me say this. The worst thing we can do is talk down to them in their understanding. You're not more holy because you create Facebook posts about your pro-life ideas. I hope I'm not talking to anyone right now. I mean, actually, no, I am. That, that doesn't make you better when you put up an opinion on Facebook that they don't understand the nature of. You're putting out something that's from a new nature that they cannot grasp. When the town came to the upper room in Acts 2 because they heard a sound, it says many were saved. But that also means many were not. They went back to their old ways. I don't recall the apostles and the disciples having church talking about how bad those people were because they didn't stay. If we would put as much focus on new nature as we did on making people on making people feel bad that they don't understand new nature, something would happen that would cause those in old nature to start to wonder about the new. 
You see, we've got to shift our attention to who we are in Christ, not pointing out over and over that they are not in Christ. We have got to start to really dive into, God, what am I created to be and what do I look like? Not trying to understand the nuances of, of, of theologies and trying to figure out when is the end times coming, when is it not. Not trying to figure out, uh, you know, what book was written first. Not trying to figure out what translation is. The, all of that is, is hindering you from the most important thing. Who are you? What is, your, what is the true nature? When you read the scripture, it, sh- it should not be trying to, 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 to prove theological ideas. It's when I read Ephesians 4, how does this help me to understand who I am? How, what does, how does this help me to understand what is my authority in Christ? Because I am the governing agent that Christ wants to change the world with. I, I've been timid to say this in church, but I'm tired of being timid. This whole thing about, well, are y'all just a new apostolic uh, reformation type church? I used to say, well, I don't, really, I don't really agree with all that. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Yeah, I want an apostolic reformation of the church. I believe in the whole idea of seven mountain theology. What seven mountain theology? That we should influence everything. Arts, entertainment, government, politics, business. I want to influence it all. And I'm not ashamed to say that. Do I think people have gone about it the wrong way? Oh, yeah. Do I think we're going to successfully do it? Not necessarily. What do you mean? The scripture's clear about when he comes back, nothing is going to exactly be perfect. But that doesn't mean we should not influence wherever we can. I'm not embracing a passive belief system. What I am embracing is I have a new nature in Christ. I'm anointed to do things that people cannot. So Christ, what would you have me do? And if a body of believers, even if it's as small as 100 people, could get that, it's not about let's have an amazing glorified service in here. It's about understanding your nature so that when you walk into your job Monday, the office at Gulfstream sees you glow to such a degree that the planes flying in, in, in the sky mean nothing compared to nothing compared to when they walked into the office, old stuff started falling off and they and tears started rolling down their face because of conviction. And they started saying, What is going on? And what they don't understand is Christ walked in the room. I'm talking about when when, when you go to a gas station and fill up your your car with gas, the people that you're buying gas from start to see something different and then stuff starts to fall off them. I'm talking about influencing wherever we go. That's new nature. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. We don't come in here to worship to make ourselves feel better about having good church. We're coming here to, and to press into the heavenlies and say, all right, God, show me. Show me new nature. Show me purpose. Show me what you want. This is ecclesia. This is the body of Christ. Ecclesia was a, a group that met together that, that governed the city. That's why I say this is not meant to be a come get saved place. This is meant to be come get your orders. And not just come get your orders, but let us raise you up into how to 
do those orders in the most Christ-like manner. We've got new clothes. We've got a new nature. It's not, I will become. Paul's very clear. He says, put them on. Put on the new man. The last two verses, Ephesians 4, 31 to 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Your new man gets rid of all the stuff that doesn't look like God. Why? Because there is a glory on you that says you're created to look like him. Verse 24 says you are created to be like God. In other words, you are created to be like we were in the garden. Replace bitterness, rage, and slander and evil with a new clothing of kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Men, tenderheartedness is not feminine. It's godlike. But where men have an issue is you define manly as a defiled nature you've come to know. Well, I want to be a man. The identity of man that you have come to know is what the world defines man as. Your new nature defines it as tenderhearted, kind, and forgiving. Not vengeful, forgiving. And notice that the whole passage ends with forgive just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Has forgiven. Past tense. It's not that we need to forgive because God will forgive. It's we need to forgive and do all these things because he has. It's talking about the forgiveness in the idea of your debt. He says, I have released you of your debt, so don't hold a debt when he canceled yours. Don't hold a debt against your upbringing. Don't hold debts to mom and dad. Don't hold debts to your job situation. If you come home and you're miserable because of your job and it causes your household to be miserable, you have embraced an old clothing lifestyle. Because you should be able to walk in new nature and nothing affect that. Well, you don't know what my job's like during the day. But I do know that you have time to get home. And instead of dwelling on the debt of a bad day, dwell on the promise that you are new, that you are different, that there is power in you to say, that is not me. And when I get home, my husband, my wife, my kids, they're not going to see my bad day. They're going to see my new nature. And I can talk about my bad day through the tongue of my new nature. I don't know why I'm on this right now. It, I, you are, the only thing to move you is Holy Spirit. 
That's new nature. I, I can't imagine the days that Jesus had. All day, serve, serve, bless, bless, bless. And then at the end of the day, he knew that these people that I served and blessed are going to kill me. And he didn't go home to the disciples and say, I'm telling you all right now, this is, I'm, I'm tired of serving these people. Let them just kill me now. He woke up the next day and did it all over again, which is why he postured himself in prayer. You know what Christ did every day? He put on Christ. Jesus was a man in flesh. He was tempted in his flesh. So every morning he had to put on his anoint. He had to get so wrapped up into who he was in the heavenly realms that his flesh didn't stand a chance. If we're going to be a church that transforms the world, a people that transforms our families and our jobs, we got to get to a place where everything we do is of new nature. And this whole chapter just told you how to do it and why. Just walk like him. He said, you've seen Jesus. You've come to know Christ. Now walk in it. The purpose of Jesus coming was to redeem you so that you could strip off all the things that limit you and walk freely in the new you, the new man. So church, starting today, let's walk in new clothing. Amen? Let's stand. Can we give God praise tonight?